My name is Kevin Deming. I'm the adult life pastor here at The Ridge and glad you could join us today. Uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I went to visit my, uh, her mother at, and her family uh, for Mother's Day in Pittsburgh. It was her brother and his family there and her mom and dad. And uh, her brother has two little kids. Uh, they are both three and six years old. Now, I don't know, you know a lot about that age, but that age is really, really cute, but really, really full of energy. And uh, for us at that time, you know, of course, they were wanting attention. We hadn't seen them in a while, so they were so excited to see us. And, you know, as they jump all over you and do all that, that fun stuff. At one point, they came to me and they're like, Uncle Kevin, let's play hide and go seek. And I'm like thinking to myself, all right, I think I can do that. I think I'm capable of finding a three and a six-year-old and it could be kind of fun and kind of keeps them occupied as well as get a chance for me to spend some quality time with them. So I said, all right, that sounds great. So I went into another room and I started counting. Of course, the three-year-old came up to me immediately and was like, don't start counting yet, don't start counting yet. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take my time. You go high, don't worry about it. And so I kind of hid my ears a little bit, but you can hear when kids oftentimes go play hide and go seek, they make tons of noise. And you know exactly where they are because they're making all this noise. And so I could hear them running around. And finally, at some point, I hear it got real quiet. I'm like, okay, they're hidden. So now I can go look. And I said, all right, here I come, ready or not. I'm uh, coming to look for you. So walked in the first room and kind of looked around. I checked the doors, looked everywhere, you know, kind of looked under beds and stuff like that. And, and I didn't see them at all. Uh, so I was like, all right, uh, all right, no, guess you're not in here. Wonder where you are. So then I walked in the next room, did the same thing, kind of looked everywhere. And uh, under the bed, there were some bins there and couldn't see anything there and everything like that. So I was like, all right, I guess nobody's in here. And all of a sudden they hear, here I am. And I see this foot slot stick out from underneath the bed. And I'm like, okay, that's my three-year-old nephew. And he's like, here I am, you found me. And I'm like, yes, I did, great job. Um, so he jumped out and then we looked for the six-year-old and found him. So then the six-year-old wanted to count. So the three-year-old, of course, wanted to hide with me. And so I like, found a place that's big enough. And so we went and found a place to hide. And, and we got hidden. And all of a sudden, we hear the, my other nephew, he's looking for us. And he's walking around. As soon as he comes out, he says, where are you? Give me a hint. Give me a clue. Tell me where you are. And I'm thinking, I don't think that's how it works. But, you know, and so my, the three-year-old's like wanting to make all this noise. I'm like, wait, just wait, <laughs> just wait a minute. So he kept going and kept asking, where are you? Give me a clue. I'm like, just wait, just wait. And for, after a minute, I was like, okay, you can make a noise. So we kind of knocked on where we were sitting and, and you could hear, hear uh, my other nephew running around and, and then he continued to do that and finally made enough noise and he found us. I don't know about you, but when I played hide and go seek when I was a little older, I wanted to hide so well that the people looking for me would give up and then I'd wait another 30 minutes before I'd even come out. I mean, I was like, you're not finding me and I'm gonna make sure you never find me, uh, but they wanted to be found. And I think for some of us in our life, our life can relate like this game of hide and go seek. And a lot of times there are things in our life that we wanna hide. There are things that we don't want anybody to find out, anybody to know, and other times there are. But for oftentimes, we, we don't wanna do that because we, we begin to, to see, we don't want someone disappointed or upset at us. Or we don't want somebody that's, that maybe will judge us or look down on us. And so we're afraid of those consequences and so we begin to hide the areas of our life. Maybe it's hurt, maybe it's pain, maybe it's something we've done wrong. The problem with this is that we, begin, we can miss out on truly being loved by someone if we hide who we are. What I mean by this is that ah, when, we, when, <clears throat> when we are on our best in front of people, we expect them to kind of think good of us, don't we? But yet when we are, are, have issues or problems, we're afraid they're not gonna love us. 
But if someone truly knows us, and then they can love us on a deeper level. If someone knows our good and our bad, our ugly and our beautiful, they can love us and they still love us. That means more to us. And so there's a level of being able to have that kind of relationship where we begin to reveal that side of us, the hurt, the pain, the struggle, the wrong, and still feel loved. There's a value that goes so much deeper with that. And I, I think this is the same way with God. This is the same way with God in that, that we can oftentimes hide from God. We can, we can begin to, to find ourselves saying, all right, God, I'm not ready to show you who I am because we can think that God might be this God who looks down on us and shakes his finger at us and just says, bad, bad. And this, or we don't want that. We don't want him to do that. But what we really want is this understanding that we know that God does love us and he loves us in spite of those things in our life. And so today, the bottom line that I really wanna focus on and talk about today is this, is that you cannot hide from the love of God. Now, for some of us, we wanna hide from God, but the thing that I love about this is that we can't hide from the love of God. And, and not that we even want to. In fact, this just isn't that we can hide from God, but it's that he will pursue us with his love because he loves us so much, no matter what's going on in our life. Today, we're gonna to be continuing the series, The Story of Us. And this is that idea and understanding, it's about our relationship between God and us. And last week, Pastor Tim talked about the fact that uh, in the story of us, that we matter to God. He talked about how creation reveals that, that God loves us and we matter to him. This week, we're gonna begin to look at the fact that even though we matter to God, we have a problem. We have a problem and this comes from us having to deal with the consequences when we do something wrong. I don't know about you, but I don't like it when I do things wrong. I don't like the way it feels uh, when somebody finds out as well as the, the, the damage it can do in my relationships. And so this is a problem for us. The good news is, is for us that God loves us even though we do wrong and have a problem. Now in the Bible, we use the word and the phrase when we do something wrong is the word sin. You've heard sin used and talked about in the Bible as well as here and places. And for us to look at what the definition of sin is, I did a little quick search on Google and found out what does sin actually say. So the definition of sin is this, and it's an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. So sin is basically when we do think or say anything that's contrary to God's desire for us. In order for us to know something is a sin though, we need to know what's right and wrong. We need to know what does God think is right and wrong. The one God as creator of the universe, he's the one that determines right and wrong. Now, for a lot of us, we would like to be the ones to determine right and wrong. I know for me, there are times I want, thing, I want to determine that for other people, but it usually doesn't work out well when I'm trying to determine right and wrong for other people. But there's some things I think common sense in our world today, like you know, if we've been waiting in line in an amusement park for 30 minutes and someone cuts in front of you, well, that's wrong. We all would agree with that, right? I think that's wrong. It's very frustrating as well. But there are a lot of things in times of our life where we begin to have gray areas with that. And so for us to say, all right, God, as creator of the universe, what is right and what is wrong. And it's hard for us because when we start seeing that and that's revealed to us, it can create in us uh, an opposite effect where we begin to feel shame and guilt and wanna hide things. And we can revert back to that struggle of wanting to hide things because of fear, fear of what God might think or others might think as well. You see, even though we do matter to God, there are consequences to our sin. 
There are consequences that cause us to be alienated from God. There are consequences that cause us to be alienated from others in our relationships with, with parents and kids and, and spouses and, and family and communities and friends and neighbors and coworkers and bosses. There are things that can cause alienation uh, because of sin or us to do when we do wrong things. And that causes us to wanna hide them even more. However, today, what I want us to really focus on is this idea and concept that even though we do wrong, God loves us and he wants to pursue us because we do matter to him. Uh, in that, we're gonna be looking at a story from Genesis continuing in, in chapter two and chapter three about Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve, uh, Tim mentioned last week that God created them. He got his hands dirty when he did, that there was there because he wanted a, wants a relationship with, with us and with them. And, and with that, we see that, that Adam and Eve were real people who lived that he walked alongside with. And he put them in the garden of Eden and he wanted a relationship with them. And he did it because he mattered, they mattered to him. So let's take a look at uh, chapter two, starting in verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Well, that's one rule I don't wanna break, you know? But the idea is we see here, uh, God created the Garden of Eden first for them, for a purpose for them to enjoy it because he loved them and he wanted this great relationship with, with them and he wanted them to truly enjoy it. He created, uh, created fruits and vegetables and trees and animals and, 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 and a place that they could enjoy and beautiful scenery and a wonderful, beautiful place that he could walk through with them. And, and, and he created that for their enjoyment because he loved them. But with that, he also had, there was one tree and he simply said, don't eat from that tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, when you think about the names of the two trees that they, one could eat from and one they couldn't, it's interesting. The first one is the tree of life. If I'm thinking, hey, which tree do I wanna eat from? I'd like to eat from the tree of life. I don't know about you, but the idea of having life and an enjoyment and abundant life and all that, that sounds great. I wanna eat from that. It's probably wonderful. But then you hear the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you realize something. Well, there's good and there's evil. Well, all of a sudden, things change with that. I'm not sure what to do with that. And, and for Adam and Eve, they were kind of stuck in a place where they also were curious and wondered, well, what is that about? In chapter three here in verse one, we see a continuing with a serpent. Now, this isn't the uh, Saberton python that they're talking about here. Uh, this is uh, another serpent. Actually, this is a serpent that represents uh, uh, Satan or Lucifer. We'll talk about that in just a second. But it says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now you see here, Lucifer, who's uh, later named, oftentimes heard as Satan or the devil, was here to try to get Adam and Eve to begin to question the character of God. Uh, the story of Lucifer was that God created all the angels and Lucifer was one of the most powerful and beautiful of them all. And in that, he began to want to, to elevate himself above God and to be greater than God. And because God is holy and creator and, and the one true God, uh, this, this wasn't possible and it wasn't good. It was the first sin. And, and, and because of that, God removed Lucifer from heaven uh, and along with it, uh, a third of the angels went with him. 
So if you hear the phrases angels or demons, this is where the phrase came from. Uh, the fact that God created all angels. Angels today are the ones that are messengers of God and live with God in heaven. And the uh, demons are ones that uh, fell with Lucifer in rebellion against God. And so here, we don't know how long the time frame was and how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before the serpent came along or before Lucifer uh, fell uh, from heaven. We don't know any of that, but what we do know is that a snake talked to Adam and Eve. Now, I don't know about you, but that would kind of freak me out if I'm going along and see a snake and it starts talking to me. I'm not sure how I'd respond. I probably wouldn't just carry on, oh, well, you're doing well today too. I probably wouldn't carry on with a casual conversation with that. It would be a little more complicated than that. But the reason why we see here Eve didn't respond that way is we have to remember, Adam and Eve, to them, everything was new. Everything was new. They didn't know, they were probably still trying to figure out all the animals' names. You know, and think of how long it takes to name all the animals. I'm sure they couldn't do that in a few weeks. But the idea, they were still trying to figure things out. So everything was new. And with that, uh, for them, they didn't know what, if animals could or couldn't talk. So for them, it might not have been a surprise on that. And we see here, we don't know if it was, uh, um, it was Satan disguising himself as a serpent or whether Satan possessed the serpent or Satan just spoke through the snake. We don't know that. Uh, what we do know is that he spoke to Eve uh, in this way. And for her, she wasn't shocked because of that. Uh, so we continue in verse two and see her response. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, get what she says here. God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Immediately here, we see something. She is added to what God had said. God actually only said, don't eat from it. But now as, as, as Satan was trying to do and the serpent was trying to do, was begin, get, get her to begin to question God, she began to question she began to say, wait a minute here. Uh, he also said, don't touch it. And she added to what he said. Now, for a lot of times in our own lives, we can do this with other people. We can do this with, with people. We can begin to add to what people actually say. We can give intent to people that they don't say or what they don't mean. I, I know for me, it's, I, I don't like it when someone does that on my end, when they, they, they claim I said something that I didn't or, or they put intent in my heart that I don't mean. In the same way, I know people don't feel good when I do that to them. But in this case, we see Eve had actually started to question God's character, which is what the serpent was trying to do. And she began to question that and distort what he actually said. Well, in verse four, uh, the serpent continues and says, no, you're not gonna die. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil good and evil. So he's like, oh, don't worry about it. You're not gonna die. He's just trying to keep you from a really good thing here. He's just trying to keep you from that because then you'll know what he knows and he doesn't want you to know that. Well, there may be some truth in the fact that he didn't want them to know that because in order for them to know that, they would have to sin. And he, he, he didn't want them to know what evil was because you can't truly know what good and evil are until you've experienced what, what doing wrong is. And so for him, God was actually trying to protect them there uh, in that, that setting. Now, verse six, it continues, and the woman, it says here, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for attaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Then the eyes of the both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Very interesting here. 
So we see here, she thought, all right, this is gonna give me wisdom, so let's do this. Uh, we wanna know as much as God knows. But as soon as they did that, they felt shame and guilt. They were before able to walk around the garden. They didn't care about anything because there was no, there was no evil to compare to. It was just good. And so it was what it was. But now once this happened and they, they sinned, they, they did something contrary to what God desired for them, they begin to see that there was this shame and guilt that formed. And so their first response in that was, all right, well, let's make some clothes out of fig leaves. Now, fig leaves are these huge leaves. I'm not sure where they learned how to sew, but I'm sure they figured out some way to do it and come up with it. I don't think there was sewing class in the garden, but, but maybe there was, I don't know. Maybe they, they sewed other things together, but they sewed clothes together at that point and were trying to hide themselves uh, from, from God there. And, and I think we're kind of like that too. We, we can find ourselves trying to hide things from others. And so we think to ourselves, if I can just fix it, I can just fix myself or do this and kind of arrange circumstances so that people don't know where I, my faults and my uh, sin or my wrongdoings. If they don't know that, then I can take care of it myself and fix it myself. But when we do that, it doesn't usually work out as well as we think. It doesn't turn out uh, as well as we think with our relationships with God or others or, or, or in people like that as well. And in the end, we end up struggling in our relationships because we try to fix things ourselves without truly working on those relationships here. So at this point, we, want, we see God knows this is happening uh, and he now, a game of hide and seek has come and Adam and Eve, you're gonna see, has now gone to hide and God will come looking for them. And so it says here in verse eight, it says, and the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said, where are you? Now, it's another game of hide and seek. And I wonder what they thought. All right, let's go hide in the trees. I wonder if they were like crouched out behind the trees. He won't see us here. <laughs> I'm not sure what they were thinking, but they were feeling shame and guilt is why they went to hide. They were feeling that in their lives. And so uh, God was out there calling for them. Well, where are you? We, in a sense, you had to know Adam and Eve knew that God knew where they actually were. God, this all-knowing God knew what they were. And so we think, why, why would he call out and say where you are? If he knew them, why didn't he just go down and shake his finger at them and tell them, you did it, so therefore you're gonna die. I told you, if you eat from it, you're gonna die and then, and then take care of it. That would be the just thing to do, wouldn't it? Just to go down and say, you're done. But you see, I think God really wanted to give them a chance to respond. He wanted to give them a chance to say, I messed up, I blew it. God, we want this relationship with you. And so at this time, we see uh, what happened was instead they responded out of shame and guilt and hid, played the game of hide and go seek, and they didn't want to be found. And when God did come to them and found them, we see that their response was one of blame. Adam and Eve blamed each other. They blamed the serpent. They blamed God. They blamed everybody, but they didn't take ownership for it. It's kind of the blame game. And for us in our life, I know we can have a tendency to do that too, don't we? We have a tendency at times that when we've done something wrong, we wanna blame somebody else because if we blame somebody else, then people won't think we've done wrong. But that hurts. That hurts us and it hurts them. I, don't, I, I, can't, I hate it when someone blames me for something I didn't do. It's not fair. And I know people hate it when I blame them for something they didn't do. And it hurts them. It hurts and damages those relationships. And we see here that their first response was that. And once again, their response wasn't great. 
They tried to fix it themselves. They wanted to blame others. And yet we see God responds to them still out of love. In verse 21, it says, the Lord God made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. His, his first response could have been, you're done, you're out, but it wasn't. It was great love. It was, I'm going to give you the right clothes. I'm gonna give you skins of animals uh, that, that is a foreshadowing of his plan and his promise of what he's going to be doing uh, of this. I'm gonna do that. The fig leaves are not good enough, but I'm gonna cover you. I'm gonna respond out of love for you. And, and, and at the point there, and then the second thing he does is one that we all have often felt <clears throat> like we, like as a negative, but I think there's some positive and true love in this statement. It says here, verse 22, since the Lord God said, since man's become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. It says, so the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taking. So God did remove them from the garden. And at that point we think, well, that, that's, that's, that's awful. But we see here, God did that out of love too. Because of their sin, they couldn't eat from the tree of life anymore. They couldn't have that. And so God removed them from the garden. They're not in the garden anymore. And because of that, God had a plan, a plan for restoration to bring that relationship back. And that's where his love stands out big. Because you see, the just thing for God to do is, is to have them die. The loving thing to do is to give them a plan of restoration. I wanna give an example to you here. So you see this branch right here. This branch is dead. Now some of you think, wait a minute, no it's not. Look at the green leaves, they're so pretty and they look good. The thing about this branch is it died the moment it was cut off from the tree. This branch no longer can receive life from the tree. It no longer has the capacity to get uh, nutrients from the tree. And therefore it is dead. In fact, it won't, it won't uh, the leaves will wither. It'll take a few weeks, maybe a month or two. The leaves will wither. It'll, it'll eventually, all the nutrients that are in here will be gone and it will have no chance to grow new leaves again. It is essentially dead. It looks alive, but essentially dead. And when we think about this example here, it's the same way with Adam and Eve. The moment that they sinned and ate from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were cut off from the tree of life. And physically, they were now dying. They would eventually die uh, and, and, and the effects of that. And at that point, God knew they were going to die. And so his great love for them was to give them a plan of restoration, a plan to bring them back a plan to say, even though there's consequences of sin, there's hope for you. The problem for us is that because of what happened here in the garden and they were removed from the garden, now just like us, we're not in the garden. We have the consequences of sin that's on us too. Romans 5, 12 says, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and this way death spread to all men because all sinned. We all suffer the consequences of wrongdoing. We all suffer the consequences of sin. The payment of, of sin is death and separation from God. And we are cut off from God in need of being restored to him, just as they were as well. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, we are cut off from God and our wage, what we've earned because of sin and wrongdoing, 
past, present, or future sin is separation from God to be cut off from him. I don't like that. I hate that. But what I do love is the next part of that verse when it says, uh, but the gift of God is found in Christ Jesus. It's, it's, it's in your faith and trust in Jesus. Now, with this comes some questions. For us, we, we, we see that our plan of God's restoration of our life is found in our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. The fact that, that we are separated from God, cut off from him in need of, of being restored to him. That only uh, blood can be the payment of sin. Hebrews 9.22 says this. It says, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so because of this, we are cut off from God, but we need Jesus. And his death on the cross is that payment of sin for us. And because of that payment of sin and his resurrection and his life, we can now have life forever in God. Now for us, that is us looking back to what Jesus did. So now we are looking back to what Jesus did on the cross and that pays for the price. Our faith and trust in him pays for the price of our sin in the past we've done, our present and our future and that way. Now for Adam and Eve, God had a plan of restoration with them. For them, they needed a payment of blood too. And that's why God's act of love of putting animal skins on them was a temporary promise and a temporary covering of their sin. It was the shedding of blood. An animal couldn't be a final and complete payment for sin because it doesn't have the ability to sin or not. So it couldn't pay for that sin. Uh, so instead, uh, God was showing, foreshadowing what he was going to be doing. So for someone who lived before Jesus, they look forward to the promise of God sending his son and the Messiah to pay the price for sin. So for us, we all point to faith and trust in Christ as our savior. One group looks forward to Christ while the other looks back. As we begin to see that, we begin to see that, that the difference is, is which direction we're looking. And for Adam and Eve, it was the hope that God would restore them with a future. For me, this is something that I know I hate and struggle with, that the fact that I even have to pay this penalty of sin. But the truth of it is I am cut off from God. I'm cut off from him because I, I have sinned. I have done wrong. I don't live perfectly. And I'm in need of God. And because of that, there are times where I find I wanna hide from God. I wanna hide from others. I wanna take my sin. I don't want people to see how ugly sometimes the things I do in my life are. I don't want people to know that. But the one thing that I really wanna make sure we get today is that God loves you so much. He knows every sin, everything wrong we've ever done. And he pursues you and wants to love you knowing you we cannot hide from the love of God and we don't want to, we don't need to. One of my favorite verses in helping me remember to seek God in this comes from a Psalm that David wrote. David was uh, the Old Testament, and he, he was a king, he was known as a man after God's own heart, but he was also one of the worst sinners. He did things that, that none of us would probably ever think about doing, but yet he loved God and pursued God and God loved him. And I love this passage here. It's one that I've, I've looked at for years. And it says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. You see, that's where I wanna be. I wanna be someone who says, God, I know that I have sinned. I know that I do wrong, but I know that you love me and your love is greater than anything I'll ever do in my life. It's greater and so God, I want you to search my heart and see if there's anything in me that's offensive to you or to anyone else. 
anything that I'm doing, because in that, God, I want you to be the one who restores me. I want you to be the one who, who helps me walk through that. And knowing that in my life, I can turn to you and that you will lead me to the everlasting hope and knowing that I can have restoration to you because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because I can be good enough or I live without sin. It's because of what Jesus has done. So a few things I want us to think about as we're, we're looking at this passage and we're kind of thinking here is this. I want you to first ask yourself, ask yourself, what are the things that maybe you're hiding for God? Just stop for a moment and, and say, God, what are those things? God, what are the things in my life that, 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 I, that I may be hiding from you? Show them to me and begin working on them. Because if you have a, a relationship with Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, then you can know that God has already uh, restored you to him doesn't mean we're not going to sin or we're going to have a problem in the future, but we are restored to him. Second thing for us is to remember God knows everything about you and he still pursues you. He still loves you. There's nothing you can hide from him. So let's be open with him and say, God, here it is. There's something freeing in that. There's something wonderful in that. And the, the third one here is to seek restoration with God and others. The first restoration we seek is if you, ha you need to have a relationship with Christ. And so if, if, if first one might be that first step to say, God, I wanna rest, be restored to you. I'm cut off like those branches from you and I wanna be restored. The way we're restored is our faith and trust in Jesus. The second thing may be, God, hey, with that, God, are there any relationships in my life that need restoration? Show me the part that I'm playing that's wrong. I heard a quote one time and I love this, is that no matter what in any relationship we have, if we're only 2% at fault in that relationship, we're 100% responsible for taking care of that 2%. I think for us is, what are we doing? Are we doing everything possible to seek restoration in our relationships with our, our spouses, our parents, our kids, our neighbors, our coworkers, our bosses, all the people that we live with and community with, are we seeking that? It's easy for us to get to a place of feeling shame and guilt for the things we've done wrong. It's easy for us to get to a place where we wanna hide from God and hide from others. But the truth of it is, if you're someone here today and you're struggling with feeling like you're good enough or you're valued enough or you have enough worth, remember that God pursues you and loves you. He wants to know you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And there's nothing you can do that's so big that God doesn't say, I still want to be in a relationship with you. So seek him, pursue him, start with that relationship with Christ and move from there. As we're gonna to begin to see in the coming weeks, Tim is gonna lay out this plan even more. The plan of salvation and restoration that God has, you see throughout uh, the Bible, as well as uh, the promised one that, of Jesus and what that really looks like in more detail. And for us, we hope that today you remember that God loves you no matter what, because you matter to him. In just a moment, we're gonna pray, but before we do, I wanted to mention something else to you. For us, we are, one of the things we wanna to continue to do here at the Ridge is show people that we love them. And we are sending a team of people next weekend to Honduras to be with our sister church in La Cieva. Send a team down there that's gonna begin showing the love of Christ to people that need to know that maybe they don't feel worth or they don't feel love or they don't feel these things. They know that God loves them through Jesus. And so we're gonna be partnering with that church and helping them reach even more people in their community and being a part of that. So we ask, encourage you to, to join with us in prayer for them. They'll be leaving next week and they'll be gone for, for a little over a week. So be praying for them in that, that God would use them, that the details will be taken care of, that their traveling will be safe and all those things be taken care of so they can focus on helping love a community of people that we've been partnering with for years now. 
And if you have any questions or information you'd like to know more about Honduras or how you could be involved or even go on a future trip, please go talk to someone out at the info desk and uh, we'd love to talk to you more about that as well. Also, don't forget um, uh, that about the serve board as well. Uh, at this time here, I wanna pray for us. Uh, and then at the end of that, there's also an opportunity if you wanna come forward and pray as well and ask to have someone pray with you or just take a moment to pray for some of these. We'd love for you to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your grace and your truth and your love. Thank you, God, for loving us in spite of us. Thank you for loving me, even though I know that there's junk in my life. There's things I've done wrong. There's sin. There's, there's the reason why I've been cut off from you, Lord, is, is simply because I know sin has been passed on to me. But more than that, Lord God, I know that I sin and I'm in need of you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, God, for, for that being the payment of, for Jesus dying on the cross and rising again so that we could have this life forever and knowing that you are pursuing me in relationship with me and I don't have to hide from that. And I thank you for that, God. Help us continue to seek you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.